is speak all the way over in Tucson, Arizona. It's amazing, right? I've been to Tucson. I've been to Arizona one time. That was Scottsdale, so I don't know where that is in relation to Tucson, but in that general vicinity over there. But uh, thank you. It's an honor and a privilege to be able to speak at a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous and um, share my heart with you tonight. I, um, you know, I, 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 what it, what is so refreshing is that I, I know Travis and I know some of those of you that are uh, uh, part of that group just by uh, vir virtual conversation, so to speak. And I know that there's uh, a lot of young guns over there and they're on fire for Alcoholics Anonymous. And I, I was thinking earlier that it doesn't matter how young we are or how old we are, that it can be either a raging fire or, a, you know, a little flicker. And uh, hopefully that we take full advantage of this thing and, and have that fire raging inside us so we can be that beacon of light to everybody that we touch. Right. Um, and that's, what's available. And that's what I've, that's what I've experienced. That's what I've come to know. So uh, I am an alcoholic and a member of the Wednesday night big book study group uh, here in Pompano beach, Florida. My name is Joe bear. And i um, been doing this thing for a little while. And um, I have great teachers have had great teachers. Uh, I'm sure you all are familiar with uh, the big book seminar, uh, the Joe and Charlie seminars that um, would travel the United States and sometimes outside the United States or that's part of uh, uh, my lineage and Pat's lineage. Pat Rogan is my sponsor. And <clears throat> so we're not too concerned with uh, anonymity within the rooms of AA, whether they're virtual or not. So there you go. But uh, great teachers, and um, you know that I think teachers can only be as 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 effective as a student is willing to learn, right? And boy, I tell you what, it took me a lot of pain and a lot of suffering to get to that place um, where uh, you know my struggle. Just to go back a little bit and talk about that struggle, I I, I didn't really start that intense struggle until I started trying to get sober, until I attempted, like, for the first time through an intervention with my family um, to overcome this problem. Uh, at the time, I, I certainly didn't know it wasn't overcomable by my reliance alone on me. Um, but I thought, I thought that's the way it was supposed I – thought, I thought that's the way it would probably end up, that I would have to figure this thing out. And uh, – from that point, my my struggle wasn't uh, nearly as bad drinking and drugging as it was trying to live without it. And um, you know, through that intervention, <clears throat> the biggest the biggest impact that that had on my life is that my secrets started becoming exposed, where I had thought I had neatly concealed them, <laughs> and uh, it wasn't easy to hide at that point. And it wasn't easy to you know go undercover and and try to uh, you know. Uh, conceal it right and um consequences started getting worse and worse and um then of course you know i had gotten to the point where uh, there was another intervention where it was told to me that if i didn't uh, do certain things that i was going to have to leave town and, uh, and i come from a very loving family big family family of five sisters and one brother who who has passed now but uh large, very close family. And, um, you know, we had our internal struggles, but uh, 
my struggles in my own world were way more important than those struggles. And uh, I became a very selfish and self-centered individual. And um, so naturally, you know, I did certain things to try and keep that parachute intact for as long as I could, but then it ended up and I crashed and burned and, uh, and ended up in, on the streets of Fort Lauderdale. College educated, again, like I said, good upbringing, uh, good family. Um, and that's, that's, that's where I had to start fending for myself. That's where I had to really start uh, struggling, uh, trying to support myself and, and, and support my addiction and my habits and my drinking and stay off the street as long as I could and just figure it out. I mean, I, I was pretty much left to my own devices to figure this thing out, however that looked. And, um, you know, that started the progression of uh, halfway houses and Salvation Armies and missions and wherever they would let me in off the street where I could get warm and or get cool, you know, down here, more cool than warm, but uh, get a warm shower, get a meal and uh, a place to sleep for the night and then have to do it all over the next day. And every time they would send me out in the morning, the only thing I could think about doing was medicating. The only thing I could do think about doing was drinking. That was it. Because the uh, I just really had a, a sense of impending doom within me. And uh, I'll talk about that a little bit further on. So I mean that that that's how that struggle that that's how that struggle ensued. And it, you know, and it and it was always uh, at a point where I would I was I was so up against it and hated living on the street where uh, it was important for me to find refuge somewhere and um, usually that started with detox, right? And then it started. And then from there, I went to a halfway house. And from there, I went out on the street again. And then I went back to detox. So I got in this progression of detox and, and retox mode. I never recovered from anything. You know, I never recovered from a hopeless condition of mind and body. I didn't even know I had a hopeless condition of mind and body. I thought that the only hope that I had, kind of like I read Bill's story, he had that high resolve, you know, that even in even in the even in the times that, that even 40 years ago, 30 years ago, it was my mindset was just as bad as their mindset or Bill's mindset back in the 30s, that the only thing that I could do was have this fierce determination and this willpower and this high resolve to go out there and try to will sobriety into effect. And I couldn't do it. And um, I kept failing and failing and failing. And, you know, after uh after a period of time of really uh, hurting others by our behavior, uh, my family, you know, building up the trust and tearing it down, destroying them and, and, and worrying them sick and going to jail and, and, and being arrested and developing a criminal record, um, just, just destitute. Um, I started to harbor these things that were kind of like the manifestations of the things that I was doing to other people. I started to develop this internal condition and the internal condition was, was this place where I would harbor fear and remorse and shame and guilt and bitterness, hopelessness, fear and anxiety. And I started to feel like a loser and I started to feel like an extreme failure. 
And I was absolutely certain that anybody that looked at me or crossed my path knew it. All they'd have to do is just look at me and they could see right through me. And, uh, you know, in the, in the 12 and 12, it talks about we get to this place where we feel like a, all our scorecards read zero. Well, I, I felt like a zero. I felt like a nobody. And that grew and grew and grew. And, that, and, and, and I, never, I never considered that there was something that could, that could interrupt and correct that problem. The only solution that I had to numbing that problem out was alcohol. And it worked. It worked for me. You know, there's nothing worse than feeling all those feelings and trying to stop drinking and coming into a fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous where it seems like everybody's doing okay and feeling pretty doggone good. And I feel like a complete and utter loser. And that that's the worst. That's not the worst part about it. The worst part is having to pretend like it doesn't exist. Because I was sure if you knew that about me, that if you knew that that's the way I felt about me, you would hate me too. And uh, by the time I got here, I literally hated my guts. I couldn't stand me. And when I say by the time I got here, that, that was uh, when, I, when I got sober, initially in 2002. And um, so it was, uh, I was running from a problem that I was carrying around internally. And I had no idea how to correct it. All I knew how to do was to drown it and to numb it out and erase it, even if it was for a minute. And I got to the place where I wanted to die. I wanted to take myself out. I couldn't stand, I couldn't stand life one more second the way I was living it. I couldn't stand feeling the way I was feeling about me one more second. And uh, it, there's, you know, you get to that place where I got to that place where there was, there was just complete and utter hopelessness um, where death looked more attractive to me than living going through it. And, um, and I guess that, you know, cause I had had many bottoms before I'd been to jail many, many times, everywhere I've ever lived, I've been to jail. Um, I had destroyed all my relationships. I had no authentic, I, I didn't know what authentic was. I had no transparent relationships. All mine were fraudulent. They were, I had become the master imposter. I'd become that guy that would come into my family for, for an occasional holiday or whatever, whatever, where I might've had a gap of abstinence where they would actually invite me home. And I would walk into that family and pretend to be somebody that I wasn't. I couldn't bear the thought of them knowing how I truly felt about myself. So I had to act. So when I read that thing in, in, uh, and how it works about the actor wanting to run the whole show being the one thing that was going to derail that decision in the first place. There's only one thing that was going to derail my decision to seek a God of my understanding. And that was me. And I was that guy. I was that guy that wanted to be the, wanted to be the director when I was just an actor. You know, I wanted to look good, be right and be in control of everything because I knew no other way I had developed this way of living that was impenetrable and unmovable according to me. Nobody could teach me anything and I wasn't open to learning anything until, until I was, right? Until alcohol had its way with me. 
And I always say that, that booze and whatever substances you do ultimately have to do their job. They have to do their job. And for me, that job was beating me into a state of such submission where I became teachable for the first time in my life, where the words that I didn't utter out of my mouth were, I know what I need to do. That used to have people have that gasp of like, how could you possibly say that? You know what you need to do. It was pointed out to me by, by my, my sponsor, God rest his soul now, John. He said, uh, you know, when you, when you declare that you know what you need to do, then you're, you're, you're proclaiming that you are not teachable, that you are not going to be reasonable, that there's still some negotiation and some debate and need to negotiate the way you think it is. In other words, you're coming in in a conditional surrender with your hands stretched outward in front of you rather than over the top of you, right? And that was me. I always had my, I always had my little conditions that I, that, I would, that I would try to barter with on whatever halfway I would be at or whatever somebody was trying to tell me to do in, 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 a, in a way that would be valuable for me. You know, I always had an argument for it. Well, <clears throat> booze, booze and... Booze had to have its way with me. And, um, you know, John told me, he says, look, he says, uh, it, it's not, a, it, it's, it's actually what you know, Joe, because you, I was in a struggle with in and out of Alcoholics Anonymous for 16 years. I was walking in and out of the program of AA for 16 years with an alcoholic mind. I was absolutely doomed to repeat. It wasn't a matter of when it was, it was or if, it was when, right? I would come in, I would get detox, I would get undrunk and undrugged, I'd come in, I'd sit in the rooms, I'd, I'd agree to go to some of those meetings, and I'd listen politely as they spoke. I wasn't disrespectful, outwardly, right? But my mind was a thousand miles away, and at no time did I ever attempt to change my character address any kind of brokenness within me. As far as I was concerned, the brokenness had everything to do with you guys and not me. I came in the consummate victim. It's always somebody else's fault for my miserable life, my set of circumstances, my current situation, my past situation. It didn't matter what it was. But I never took responsibility or accountability for anything. Not one bit of it. So... <clears throat> It, admitting I was powerless, it had to be explained to me in a way where I didn't address it as part of somebody else's problem. It had to be broken down to me as only explainable through my problem. In other words, it had to be addressed with this guy rather than a group of people. So I, I, I wasn't getting anything from listening to speaker meetings. I, I just didn't until John sat me down. And we went through the doctor's opinion because John, uh, John Williams was his name. Um, he was part of that big book seminar with Joe and Charlie. And he had an uncanny way of reaching into my soul and um, reaching into my heart. And he, uh, he would say things that were hard to hear for me. I mean, it, 
I had learned a lot of times is what the hell are you talking about? I don't know what, the, I don't know what you're talking. Why are you saying that? Like, I, I felt offended at some of the things that he would say. Like the way I thought it was, wasn't the way it was. No, what are you talking about? How, how could the way I think it is not be any different than the way you think it is? <laughs> oh, I had it really, I was, I had a broken mind. Right? And he goes, um, yep. He says in the realm of recovery, the way you think you need to get sober, the way you think you need to address this thing, in the realm of intimate personal relationships, authentic relationships, transparent relationships, empowering relationships, in the realm of success and consistency, in the realm of commitment, in the realm of just about everything. It's what you know that's killing you. And it's what you don't know that's going to save your life. How do you argue with that? Because he said this, he said there's, there's something that you can't avoid any longer. And I'm going to point it out to you. And he says, that's your evidence. He says, you got evidence of what you've been able to produce with all your ability, talent, skills in the realm of these things. So let's just take a look at that evidence and see what you've been able to accomplish. And as I told you earlier, my scorecards read zero when I got here. I mean, they were just flat out. I couldn't stand me. And um, so... I, I desperately wanted to be free of having to pretend to be somebody other than who I was. I wanted to, I wanted to sense that there was a possibility that I could actually be, take some kind of gratitude in who I was becoming. Like I could be somebody, like I could be somebody that somebody would hold in, in high regard but not by what I say, but what I do. I mean, you know, you, that you have that intrinsic value to another human being or to other human beings because I didn't feel I had any. And he was the, he was the, the picture of that to me. I wanted to know what it would feel like because he exuded responsibility. He exuded authenticity, genuineness, full self-expression, not worrying about what other people thought of, uh, thought of him. I mean, he was, he was genuine and uh, I, that, that was so attractive to me. And I, I knew that this was, this was part of a ball game much bigger than just not drinking and drugging, right? This was something much more beyond, this was like part of a world that you could enter, but only through being recovered. And um, so I wanted what he had. And I was, uh, I was, um, at that point, like I said, reasonable, teachable. Um, and he says, well, he says, the first thing I have you do is read the doctor's opinion. That's the first exercise. So go home, read the doctor's opinion, and we'll talk about it. Right? When you get done, you, you call me up, and, and uh, we'll get together, and we'll, we'll discuss it. So that's where I began. And uh, mind you, for 16 years, I was in and out of AA in such a struggle trying to figure this thing out because I was certain that I was going to need to figure this out. So could you excuse me one second? My dogs are scratching on my door and they're not going to stop until I let them in and it's messing me up. Hold on. So, so, so sorry. Anyway, so I, uh, as I was mentioning, so that, you know, the struggle 
we were talking about it in a meeting before I came on to this meeting. And, um, you know, one of the fellows that shared said, said, shared something. And I, and, and I, I thought, immediately thought of the, the relief that I had when John sat me down before he gave me that first assignment. He says, by the way, Joe, he says, here's the good news that everything that you're going to need to have and, and, and do in, in, in the way of instructions and directions and, things that you're going to need to be concerned with, it's all written down. He says, you don't have to figure anything out. And man, that was good news to me. I've been trying to figure this out for so long. And I thought, honest to God, I thought I was supposed to figure it out. I just kind of assumed that when I would come into AA, you know, I never really, never, I went to a lot of speaker meetings and, and not that speaker meetings are bad, but I never heard the steps described in such a way where I had any of those aha moments and said, Oh my God, that's the direction I want to go. And um, when he said, you don't have to figure anything out. It's all been written down. You're off the hook. I felt such a sense of relief because that was one of the biggest struggles I had. I, I was terrified of having to try and figure this out again because every time I tried this thing, it was always by the same method, by the same strategy, and by the same approach. I didn't have any other approach. I had no other strategy other than let's get into this halfway. Maybe it'll be this period of time. Maybe, maybe it'll just happen now. You know, maybe, maybe God will look down on me and he'll say, you know, he's had enough. Let's just, let's just poof him. You know what I mean? Let's just sprinkle that dust on him and all of a sudden he'll know everything's different. Well, that's not the way it works. And uh, so when he said it was all written down, I was, you know, I'm not a dummy. Um, you know, I have, I, ha I have, you know, gone to school and I, and I didn't know how to, you know, get from A to B and, 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 and you know, pass certain courses and stuff like that. And he goes, and, and, get, and, and guess what this thing's called? He says, this is called a textbook. We call this our textbook. And that rang a bell. I knew where I had seen textbooks before. I saw textbooks when I was in grade school and I, I saw textbooks when I was in high school and college. Right. So when they said textbook, I knew we were going to go into a book of instruction. I for the first time in 16 years, I had addressed this program as the program as it was written in a book of instruction rather than just not drinking and going to some meetings. And amazing things began to happen, right? So I go through the doctor's opinion. And the doctor's, the doctor's talking about this malady that we have and, 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 and putting together the, the mind with the body. And, I'm, and, I'm, and, you know, and, and, and everything is starting to come together. And it, and it really kind of, you know, has, has uh, taken on a pretty simple view for me when when Dr. Silkworth talked about, you know, the, 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 the reason that we drink alcohol is for the, for the ease and comfort that, 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 that we like the effect, right? The effect is ease and comfort. I knew I had been chasing ease and comfort since I was a little boy. I had been chasing e ease and comfort long before I started drinking alcohol, right? Because I always felt a little bit of upheaval. I always felt a little bit of disengagement in, inside me of disconnection of not quite not quite comfortable around people you know what I mean I was just that kind of guy 
where I always felt I had to perform and act as, as I thought you wanted me to so that you'd like me. Or you think highly of me or you'd, you know, you'd, 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 you'd value me or whatever. And uh, never for just who I was. I always felt I had to have that little edge out in front of me. And um, when, he, when he said that we became restless, irritable, and discontent in an undrunk state, unless we could again sense the ease and comfort, and I'm reading because it's in front of me, the ease and comfort which comes in a split second by taking a drink, right? I knew then that the moment I touched alcohol at the age of 13, I found my ease and comfort, and I never looked, I never looked in another direction ever. And uh, we know how things progress, right? And, and he says, uh, after they've succumbed, he's talking about me, after they've succumbed or given in to the desire, that had meaning for me too. Because he, when he talks about that obsession of the mind, I knew I had a mind that was lying to me. John would explain it to me. You know, that internal condition was so volatile and so, so full of conflict with the fear and the shame and the remorse and the, 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 the regret of all the things that I had done Stopping drinking didn't make that go away. It got louder, right? So for this, for the sake of being able to get ease and comfort for that internal condition, it didn't matter what the lie was. It didn't matter what the obsession was, that thought that overcomes all other thought. You know, as, as much damage as I've done, as many consequences as I suffered, and as many times as I've gone to jail, for me to sit there and have a conversation with myself driven by the the mania going on inside me that it would be different this time or that nobody would know, or wasn't that bad. That's pretty, that's, pr that is insane. That's certifiably insane. So it didn't matter what the lie was or how trivial it was. As long as it was a lie where I could give myself permission, put the tox, the, 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 uh, the poison in my body that was killing me. It didn't matter. It didn't matter because it was more important to have that ease and comfort than it was if I stood to lose everything else. And, you know, John told me, he says, look, he says, when you're in that, when you're in that state, when you're in that, that state of, of, of absolute helplessness, when you are faced with having to, to medicate that inside, he says, the only thing that your mind's going to do is remember what do, booze did for you rather than what it did to you. And that was so true for me. He says, you can only remember what it did to you. What all the things that you lost, all the devastation, all the, all the demoral, all that stuff that happened to you doesn't even cloud into your consciousness. But when you recover from this hopeless condition of the mind, you may have a fleeting thought, but your mind's rather than going, rather than your mind going to what it did for you, it's immediately going to go to what it did to you. And you recoil from it from a hot, like as from a hot flame. And that's absolutely what has happened for me. But it took some work in the meantime. It took some work in the in-between, right? So I had to become not only convinced that I could not stop when I started because of the allergy of the body. And that I couldn't stop starting because of the obsession of the mind, right? That there was only, and, and here's the kicker to this, is that, you know, I can concede that I'm powerless over alcohol and that my mind is unmanageable, that my thinking is broken. 
But unless I come to that conclusion and concede it to my innermost self, I'm not going to seek a spiritual solution, especially not one the way they've got laid out. So I have to know that no other human power has been able to keep me stopped. Doesn't matter what I try. Doesn't matter the threat of my freedom going to jail. Didn't matter the threat of my losing my family. Didn't matter jobs. Didn't matter that. Didn't matter. Didn't matter what I stood to lose. I could have everything hanging in the balance. Everything. Everything hanging in the balance. And not one thing that was that was hanging in the balance was enough to keep me stopped. It wasn't enough to keep me from starting again. So no human power is based on evidence more than anything else. It's not a concept, not a theory. It's based on truth and fact. Right? I had to go back and I had to look at all the times. Then no matter, I mean, I had everything to lose. But not one human being was able to keep me stopped. Now, there's a lot of human beings that helped get me stopped. Some actually dropped me off at detox and dropped me off at a hospital and dropped me off at a half. They could help get me stopped. Right? They couldn't keep me stopped. And when I knew that, I knew that this approach, that this, this whole approach that AA was going to lay out for me was a vertical approach. It was going to have to come off the horizontal and off the earthly approach and go vertical spiritual, right? And that's why we get to step two. We have to come to believe that this power greater than ourselves can restore us to sanity. And, you know, John was clear. And um, he, uh, he made it very easy to understand. And I've got to let this other guy in or I'm going to get eaten when he let him in. So hold on a second. Okay, sorry, sorry, people. No more dogs. Go lay down. So, um, you know, being convinced that no human power could, and being convinced only based on the evidence that no human power could relieve me of this thing, um, it was time to come to this conclusion. There's something that I read in here that that just really was uh, uh, powerful to me, and. Um, you know, one of the things that, that I'll caution anybody on as far as, you know, this this uh, recall that I went into when, when we started to talk about this vertical approach and this power greater than myself, I knew what you were talking about. I'm not a dummy, right? I knew it had to do with God. And I, and I, and, and I automatically would, would recall how I was taught about that in the beginning. You know what I mean? I would always... Go to that place where I, of what I knew. Now, I wouldn't go to a place of what I didn't know. I, I, I wouldn't attempt to try and find a, a solution to get there in another way. So what I would always do through that 16 years was try to go back and double down. I knew you talking about God, so let me go back and do this, and I'll do it more, right? Or I'll do, I'll, I'll do what my dad asked me to do, or I'll say a couple of those, and I'll do the, whatever, right? But the problem was, is no matter what I did to try and re recapture and approach this thing in a method I'd already tried, I kept getting drunk. And from what I what I gathered was, is that I'm going to have to take this whole different approach in uh, in 
we agnostics, it talks about the cornerstone. Are we now, do we now believe or are we willing to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity? And John explained what the sanity was. What didn't have anything to do with what happened to me after I drank. It had everything to do with me before I touched a, a, a drop of, of liquor, right? It was, the in, it was the broken mind that I had. And uh, it's not like I never believed in God. I never discounted God or, 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 or took a position that, you know, it wasn't going to be for me. I just never considered developing independence on God, right? And um, so when it said, do I now believe or am I at least willing to believe? I'm kind of like this guy that had nothing to lose. I mean, I mean, the way I was doing it was, was, it was killing me. I had absolutely nothing to lose by trying a different approach. And uh, I told John, I said, John, I said, I'm, it's not that I'm a non-believer and it's not that I'm an atheist. I said, but what I would like to do is say, I'd like to believe that there's a different relationship with this God other than the one I've ever known. In other words, a different type of relationship, different types of possibilities in the relationship with God. He says, well, he says, that's exactly what this book is all about. Right? That's exactly what this whole recipe is designed to do, to enable us to have a relationship with God that will solve all our problems. So, you know, that was comforting to me. And um, I tell people all the time, I said, look, it doesn't matter how profound our relationship is or what we think our relationship is or what we think our spiritual uh, understanding is when we get here. The bottom line is, is it, is it, is it sufficient to keep us stopped? Are we not, or are we not able to stop starting? There, there's the proof. I mean, there, there's the pudding, right? Either, either I have a relationship that's worldly and profound and scholarly and, and, and really educated, and I like to talk about it all the time, but I can't get the booze out of my mouth. Something wrong with that relationship. And it's not broken from God's end. It's broken from my end, right? So I have to develop something different for me. And John said, look, you know, we're going we're gonna to go through this thing. You're going to make a decision. All the information that we're talking about right now is going to set you up to make the decision that's going to change the rest of your life. It's going to change your entire destiny. It's that important. And um, it, says, it says on page 25 in the book, it says, you know, if you're seriously alcoholic as, as we were, we believe there's no middle-of-the-road solution. We were in a position where life was becoming impossible and if we had passed into a region from which there is no return through human aid, we have but two alternatives. One was to go on to the bitter end, blotting out the consciousness of our intolerable situation as best we could, step one. And the other, to accept spiritual help, step two. You see, if I got those two pieces of the puzzle, I'm just left with making a decision. What am I going to seek? <laughs> kind of like Monty Hall's old... Let's make a deal show. Remember that? I think they, they still have that show today. Door number one, stay powerless. Stay entrenched in step number one and die. Door number two, live beyond your wildest imagination. 
There is no door number three, at least that I found. No door number three. 12 and 12 says, reconsider your whole position about the way you think it is or die. And boy, I tell you, I know in Arizona they're dying just like they are down here. I know we're pretty much ground zero for a lot of the stuff. But I tell you, the last five years have taken a lot of lives because they don't get this. And uh, John told me, he says, you have the responsibility to tell people. So anyway, I, um, so I made, I made the decision. He asked me, he says, are you ready to, to do this thing? He says, cause listen, he says, this whole thing is a vertical approach. He says, we're going to, it says, we claim spiritual progress rather than spiritual perfection, right? We claim, we, we, we assume the spiritual approach. We know where that's going. Right. It's going someplace that I can't control, that I can't understand with my five senses. And I have to I have to have some kind of hope and blind faith. That something is going to be possible. And I'm standing in front of proof. His name was John. And many others that have gotten this thing and are living unbelievable lives that came exactly where I came from. So I have the evidence in, in front of me. Right. So I have to I have to start with belief. I believe it's possible. And now I'm now I'm going to work into faith, right? Now I'm going to take some action, some belief, put it in action and develop faith. And that's exactly what 4 through 9 does for me, right? So if if this is the pursuit that I'm going to take, and we agnostics it asks one more question. It says Either we're going to, either in this approach, either God is going to be everything or he's going to be nothing. And I believe that the context of that is, is pretty simple. Right? The context is that I'm going to take this approach that these, that this recipe, this prescription and set of ingredients that I need to incorporate into my life and implement as a design for living, discarding the other one. The one I came in with. And this is going to be my sole focus. I'm going to minimize distractions. I'm going to minimize, you know, influence from other places that's going to derail my, my focus. And this is going to be everything to me because, I don't know, I'm dying. <laughs> and I want to live. And I want to live to good measure. I want to find out what's possible when God put me on this planet. Right? If that pursuit of this relationship with this power is either going to be everything or it's going to be nothing, you can't have your girlfriend, your job, your money, your things, your ambitions coexist at the top with him. He's going to be everything or else he will be nothing because anything that I'm to put in front of him, I lose it. And we all know that deal. Right. So I have to have a proper focus personally for me where my priority is simple life, life beyond measure, life in a way that I've never known it, in an intimate personal relationship with this power where he now becomes my ease and comfort versus booze and drugs being it. At all times, good or bad. 
that ease and comfort from him is there. In the midst of the storms, it is there. In the bad times, it is there. Nobody on earth can take it from me. Nobody, right? But there's still some work that I must do, some refinement work, right? So I make this decision. And in the fourth step, we all know, if you've read the book, it says our decision was a vital and crucial step. We could have little permanent effect unless at once, followed by a strenuous effort to face and be rid of the things in ourselves which have been blocking us. Says the fundamental idea of God is, is deep down within us. It may be obscured by pomp and calamity and worship of other things. Oh yeah. I mean that I mean that was me. I mean that, that's all I saw was pomp, worship of other things, idolizing this and idolizing that, lust for this, lust for that. I mean, that was it horizontal. I mean, the world was my oyster. So I had to dig. And I had to, I had to, I had to peel it off. And I had to find out what was been blocking me from the access to this power because it was given to me at birth. And now it was time to do the work. And it began with the investigation. And for the first time in my life, after I addressed the fears and harms and sexual harms and resentments, it, um, I got a clear picture on who you got when I showed up on the scene. I got a picture of this imposter. I got a picture of this guy that was buying this guy that just was so needy for attention and popularity and validation and getting credit for things that I, that I didn't deserve. You know, that was me. And uh, it, it just amazed me on how easy it is to sell my soul. For the for the for the godly attention that I thought I was getting from you, you know, human beings were my lowercase gods. They determined you determined whether I was a zero or a million. You determined in my mind whether I was a somebody or a complete nobody. And it meant the more I felt like a zero, the harder I had to work at it. Right? And um, got all this out on paper. And uh, I got to see who you got when I showed up. And um, I told John when I first got here, I said, I want, you know, I'm ready to die. I'm ready to take myself out. I, I got to know that there's some flicker left of possibility that I can experience life in a different way, that I can actually experience tomorrow differently than I did yesterday or today. And, um, I wanted, and I told him, I said, I just want him to die. I don't want anything to do with, with the guy that I've become. I can't stand him. And it's a sad place when you can't even look yourself in the mirror and look in your eyes because you're so filthy inside. You feel so filthy. And uh, so when I got done with that forcep, I really started to feel like my life was moving in the right direction. You know, I didn't have any, I did have some personality change. I, I, I understood what it meant in the end of that. Um, at the end of the fourth step in the big book where it talks about, you know, being able to see where our resentments were fatal, the fatality of them, where um, it wasn't their fault, it was mine, where, where I started to be able to forgive other people and take the blame off them because I saw how I set it all in motion. I saw what decisions I made based on self 
later placing me in a position to be here. I saw it all. And um, we did the deep dive of five. And, uh, you know, I started to uh, sense, I started to sense that I was not only on a path that was going somewhere, but that I, that the possibility of me experiencing life differently was growing stronger and stronger. And uh, not until really diving into six and seven where I was committed to having that guy die so I could be reborn with a strategy, of course, and my sponsor, putting me on a very specific path of six and seven, day by day, right? And uh, then I start to feel the nearness of, of, of God. I started to feel protected. I started to feel directed and uh, safe and uh, comforted and get those glimpses of ease and, and comfort internally and joy, right? Not explosive, but they were coming. It was, it was, it was like I was changing without even recognizing it. My internal struggle started to subside. When I did, when I started doing the six and seven, and then I started engaging in eight and nine, eight and nine were the key. And it took, John put me on a trial. He put me on about a 30, 40 day trial of six and seven every day, committing to something that I was not going to do. And I was going to talk to somebody about it. I was committing to change and asking God for help. And then I went and started making my amends. And I'm going to tell you something, people. That's when I, I always wanted to know what it would feel like to be forgiven. I didn't ever, ever, ever think that I was going to be able to be forgiven for what I did. Ever. I wouldn't have forgiven me for what I did. I stole time from people. I stole their hearts. I chewed them up, spit them out. And uh, amend after amend, all of a sudden I started to feel an overwhelming sense of forgiven, being forgiven by them. I started to feel new relationships starting to happen within old relationships. The old was dying. The new was coming in. And uh, I would start to experience freedom. And the biggest overwhelming thing that happened was that I knew my past couldn't hurt me anymore. It didn't matter what you knew about me. It couldn't hurt me anymore. And that's freedom. Right? And, uh, of course, step 10 is just the implementation of the new design, right? New constitution. Take an inventory. Take an inventory. Take an inventory. Talking to somebody about it. Committing to change in six. Asking God for help in seven. And making, an ends, making amends where necessary. And I have gone to other places of worship and study. I've started to read and study other books that have certainly uh, taken my seeking to another level um, and, and absolutely blossomed my relationship with God. And I can tell you today that the most important thing about my life today is, is the God of mine is God. He's a central fact in my life. He's central to everything in my life. He's more really, he's more reality than anything in my life. And um, today I know that he adores me. Today, today I know he got me to that place where I was teachable. Right? See, today I know that my whole life through the struggle was in preparation to get me here today. So 
I like to say this is the message I like to carry because nothing ever happened for me in the way of change until I started doing the step work. Simple as that. Till I was introduced and, 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 and taught this information, nothing ever happened. I continued to get drunk and go through a lot of pain. So Travis, I want to thank you for inviting me. And, and uh, I know it's 10 o'clock and about 30 minutes left, but uh, there is no greater, no greater gift than to take someone's hand and put it, literally put it into God's hand. And that's exactly what this book has done for me through the hands of my sponsor and through the hands of God. It gives me an opportunity to tell everybody about the God of my understanding without uttering a word. Okay. So thank you for letting me be here. Appreciate it.